walk with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you please help us to hear from you today, Lord? I pray that our our souls would be so submitted to you right now, Lord, that we would hear whatever it is that you would have to say to us and that we would apply it and live it out for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are doing this sermon series in which we are looking at the Holy Spirit. And the key question that we have been asking is, what does the Bible say about how our lives should be directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Now today's sermon is the last one in this sermon series. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I hope it does not signal the end of your spirit-filled life. I hope that this is, this is the beginning, uh, this is, that we continue on in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today's sermon is about how we are to be filled led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And overall, I want you to be encouraged. Now, yes, God calls us to a very high standard in life, but God also strengthens us in the power of the Holy Spirit for the journey so that we can live the lives that he wants us to live. Now, my sermon today is going to have two parts to it. The first part, we are going to look at how we are to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. And then in my second part, I want to talk about how we are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So point number one, we are to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then Romans 8.14, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There are other verses that we could consider on this as well. I love Romans 8.5, which says, Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We could talk today about living according to the Spirit or having our minds set on the Spirit. We've done that before. Um, I kind of want to wrap up this sermon series and I want to talk about everything, but we're not going to talk about everything. We could also talk about how the Bible says we are to live by the Spirit or walk by the Spirit, or keep in step with the Spirit. Those would all be wonderful things that we could talk about today, and I want you to keep thinking about those things. But I kind of tried to narrow my sermon down a little bit. So we're going to talk about being filled with and led by the Spirit of God here in this first point. Now to emphasize this point, I want to show you a verse that jumped out at me a while ago. It even amazed me. Um, I remember, I didn't ask Dan if I could say this before, but I remember something Dan said a while ago that we should be amazed at Scripture and and that as we're reading Scripture, there should be these times where we just stop and say, wow, look at what God has done. And there was one of those times for me a while ago. I remember reading this verse in Luke 4.1 and thinking, wow. And I want to read it for you now. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. And I was amazed at this because look at the language here. I'm going to highlight the, I'm going to underline the words that are the same in these verses as the ones that I just read. And you'll see that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And those are the things that we are supposed to do. Now, why would Jesus need to be full of and led by the Holy Spirit? Wasn't he God? Why then is there this language about him being filled with and led by the Holy Spirit? And I was talking with Pastor Josh about that this week, and he had a great answer. But it has to do with, his, with Jesus' divinity and his humanity, with the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Now, that's a, another theological topic. We could spend hours talking about that one. It's called the hypostatic union. We're not going to get into all that, except to remind you that it wasn't like Jesus was 50% God and 50% man. No, he was fully God and fully man. So let's think about each side of that now. The question was, why was Jesus full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit? Well, as God, Jesus had lived in 
perfect unity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit since eternity past. So when he came to earth as a human, it wasn't like he said, oh man, I could really use a break from those other two. No, he wanted to do everything that he did with them, in unity with them. So for Jesus to be full of the Holy Spirit is a great reminder for us of why would we want to do anything apart from God. And then when we think about the humanity of Jesus on the other side, Jesus set a great example for us of being filled with and led by the Spirit. The book of Hebrews goes to great lengths to remind us that Jesus was made like us in every way, except one, he was without sin. But, but he was made like us. And as a human, Jesus set the, the example for us. He was the model for us of what it means to be filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. Because he was made like us, he showed us what path we should take. So in Luke 4.1, Jesus set the example, being filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. And remember, this is Luke 4.1. We don't have Luke 4.2 or the rest of the story on the screen. Does anybody remember where the Holy Spirit led Jesus right after this verse? Say it out if you do. To be tempted. By who? By the devil. So do you see what's going on here? The Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted by the devil. Now, we can be thankful for that because Jesus endured in that temptation. He did not fall into temptation. But again, this is a great reminder for us because Jesus faced his temptations in the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's look even further into this. How did Jesus respond to the temptations from the devil? To the devil? What did he do? He quoted scripture. Now, that reminds me of something that I've been trying to remind you of all throughout this sermon series that one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of Scripture. So Jesus, again, set the example. He was filled with the Spirit, and, and God had for him this time where he would be tempted by the devil, but even in that, Jesus was filled with the Spirit and was quoting Scripture and trusting that God would get him through. And what a great example for us. We all go through difficult times. We all face temptations. How are we to do it? In the power of the Holy Spirit, remembering God's Word to strengthen us, to get us through. So, again, Jesus set a wonderful example for us. The theologian Kent Hughes said it this way, At his temptation, Jesus knew fully he was the Son of God, but he withstood the onslaughts of Satan as a real man, deriving his power to resist by depending upon God for strength. So you see how, yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man, and he trusted in God to get him through those temptations. And remember, Jesus suffered when he was tempted. Hebrews 2.18 reminds us of that, that, that we might come up with a, a wrong theology to say, oh, Jesus, when he was tempted, he, he wasn't really tempted. It didn't really bother him. No, it did. He was just like us, and he suffered. That's what it says. He suffered when he was tempted. They were very real temptations, but Jesus met them in the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting in God's word. Jesus knew that walking with God meant going with God wherever God led him, even if that meant being led into temptation in the desert. And it's a great example for us that we should do our whole life, everything about us, in the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, wherever God leads. So how do we do that? Practically speaking, what does it look like? Well, here's where I want to emphasize Ephesians 5.18, which says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So in this verse, we see a contrast between drunkenness and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when someone is drunk, they lose control, at least to some degree. If they're just a little drunk, they lose some control. If they're very drunk, they lose a lot of control. And I guess we could say, instead of saying that they lose control, we could say that they give control to the alcohol. 
Now, that's a very bad deal because alcohol does not have our best interests in mind, does it? So if you were to give control of yourself to alcohol, you would lose some control over the things that you say and think and do. And again, it's not a good deal. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. It is not wise to give control of yourself to alcohol. Now in contrast to that, we are to give control of ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We're to follow where the Holy Spirit leads. And as we do, we're, we're filled with the Spirit's power to face whatever God allows to come our way. So again, we, we give control of ourselves to the Holy Spirit, following Him wherever He leads. Now let's take a closer look at this. So we're not to get drunk on wine. Instead, we are to be filled with the Spirit. Now this is an interesting phrase to me. It's a command... We are to be filled. Now, usually when we think of commands, we think of something that we are supposed to do, right? Kids, if, if your parent tells you to go clean your room, what should you do? You should clean your room. It's easy. You obey that command by doing that command. Now, what's interesting about this command here in Ephesians 5.18 is that the command is that we would be filled, not that we would fill ourselves, because we cannot fill ourselves. If, if the command is to be filled with the Spirit, we don't have control of the Spirit. God is the one who has control. So the command here is that, that we would be filled. How do we do that? Well, obviously God is the one who fills us. So if we're going to obey this command, what we should do is ask and trust God that he will fill us with the Holy Spirit. We ask him to fill us with the Spirit. Now, there's something even more that's interesting to me, and it's maybe just because I'm a grammar nerd. Any other grammar nerds in here? Feel, feel free. You can, yeah, all right, good, good. This command here, be filled with the Spirit, is a present command, meaning that it is to be an ongoing reality for us. And just a very simple example. If somebody says, I go to school, they're not just saying that they go once to school. They're saying that as a regular pattern of their lives, they go to school. They keep going to school. And that's the way it is for us here. Be filled with the Spirit. I heard one theologian say that it, it could be translated, be being filled with the Spirit. So it's God who does it for us, and it's to be an ongoing process in us. Now, being filled with the Spirit, then, is not a one-time deal. Receiving the Holy Spirit is a one-time deal. Now, I know that, that might be a little confusing, but let me, let me try to explain it. Being filled with the Holy Spirit should be an ongoing reality for the Christian, whereas receiving the Holy Spirit was to be a one-time reality that happened when we received Jesus as our Savior and Lord. So we received Jesus, we invited him into our heart, and it was a package deal. We also received the Holy Spirit when we received Jesus. That happens once. But from there, we are to keep on being filled with the Spirit. I have an analogy I want to use here. And this is one that you kids, uh, you can ask your parents to do for you at home this week. So especially if you have siblings that are out in children's church, uh, remind your parents to do this one. So parents, um, here, here's the illustration. Take a glass jar, instead of a, a cup, take a glass jar, something you can see through and something you can put a lid on, and fill that glass jar with milk. And that represents our lives. Our lives are like that milk before we came to know Jesus, before we received the Spirit. And then put a bunch of Hershey's or some other sort of chocolate syrup and just squeeze it in there. And, and what happens when you first squeeze that in? 
all that chocolate syrup, it just kind of sinks right to the bottom, right? Now, that, that chocolate syrup can represent the Holy Spirit. When we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. Although, you would look at that glass of milk, and you might say, well, it doesn't look any... If you hold it up, oh, yeah, I, I see it on there. Well, what are you supposed to do next with that chocolate syrup? You, good, we're doing it. You, you stir it, you stir it, and then something amazing happens. That white milk gets turned into chocolate milk. It becomes something that it was not before. And, and that's what's supposed to happen for us with the Holy Spirit. As, as, we, as we are filled with, not just receive the Holy Spirit, but are also filled with the Holy Spirit, we become a new creation. The Holy Spirit gives us that life. So I want you parents to do that, stir it up, but then I want you to put the lid on the jar and put it in your fridge and leave it there for like a week. And, and you can look at it throughout the week and you'll notice what happens to that chocolate milk is that the syrup starts to settle back down. And it doesn't happen all at once. It kind of is a gradual process, and you'll kind of see that, that that brown chocolate milk, which looks good and yummy, turns into something that's less brown. And it, it doesn't look like white milk, and it doesn't look like chocolate milk. It doesn't look like anything you would want. And you'll start to see that if you don't keep stirring it, that that, that chocolate milk is just going to settle down. And it might get to the point where it just looks like white milk again. And that would represent the Christian who is not keeping in step with the Spirit. That they're living just like the rest of the world. Even though they've received the Holy Spirit, they're not keeping in step with the Spirit. They're not being filled with the Spirit. But what can you do? Even after a week, you can take your spoon again and you can stir that chocolate milk again. And again, it can be turned into chocolate milk. So go ahead and do that experiment at home. It's a good reminder for us of of how we need to be constant in this. But also it's a reminder for me as we think about this verse, that it's God who fills us. Yet, yet he wants us to join with him in that process. We are to, be, we are to keep stirring. Now, to wrap up this first point, I, I just want to remind you of what I've already showed you in Luke 4.1, that, that Jesus was full of and led by the Holy Spirit. I want you to be encouraged by that, that, that even Jesus trusted in God's strengthening for this life. And, and he set the example for us. That's how we should live. We should be people who walk around filled with and led by the Holy Spirit, not living our life in our own power, but trusting in God's power. Okay, let's move on now to our second point. We are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, as I talk about power in the Holy Spirit, there, there was somebody from the Old Testament that came into my mind this week, Samson. Now, Samson is a bad example in many, many, many ways, but he's a really good example in one way, in his power. Samson, you could say, was perhaps the strongest person who ever lived. As you read the Old Testament stories, you're like, wow, I, I can't believe, did he actually do that? Well, yes, he did, because it was God's power in him. Because, you see, God had made a deal with, with his parents and with him that if no razor would be used on his head, that if he didn't get his head shaved, that he would be strong. Now, Samson, again, is a bad example in this, because there was a point in time where he let his head be shaved, and he lost his power. And it was a reminder that his power did not come from himself. It came from God. But there's a, re- a repeated phrase in the Samson story. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. And then following that description, we one of those amazing descriptions of something really powerful that Samson did. So that kind of power came from God. Now, we're going to look at a prayer from Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. It's a prayer about how we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. So it's the same God who was able to strengthen Samson for those amazing things. He's able to strengthen our hearts and our lives 
for the things that he wants for us. And, and before we look at this prayer, I just want to remind you of two quick biblical truths about prayer. Number one, God reveals his will to us in the Bible. We read the Bible, we learn what God wants for our lives. And then number two, that when we pray according to God's will, he answers our prayers. 1 John 5, 14-15 reminds us of that. So as we read this prayer in Ephesians 3, we can know both that it is God's will and that as we pray it by faith, God will answer it. I am, I am amazed by this. Now, I don't think it's like a magic chant, so it's not just the sort of a thing that anybody could just pick up and say it and then they get it. It, it has to be done by faith. But as we pray this by faith, we can trust that God will answer our prayers and not even just answer our prayers, but do so in such a way that's even more than we ask or imagine. As as Phil mentioned this morning in our call to worship, he read verses 20 through 21, which we're not going to look at uh, here in my sermon. But if you want to glance at them right now, go ahead, that God's able to do more than all we ask or imagine. And the result is that glory goes to him through us and through Jesus Christ forever. So Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So we can look at this prayer as having four requests, and I think the, the first request leads the way for the final three requests. Okay? So the first request is there in verse 16, that we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. There's a tremendous power available for all of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Remember, when we receive Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we live according to the Spirit or that we live empowered by the Spirit, but it means that we have access to the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't always draw from that power. All too often, we go through life in our own power. Now, I want to give another illustration. This one's one of my favorites. I've I've used it before a long time ago, but I want to use it again. Picture yourself planning a week-long vacation. Perhaps it's for you and your family, and you pick the place on the map that you want to go to, and uh, you, you pick the week that you're going to go, and as you're making those plans, you remember, oh wait, I've got an old friend who lives there. I should call him up and, and see if I can meet up with him. So you call up your friend and say, hey, I'm going to be in your city, here's the dates, I'd love to catch up with you sometime. And, and your friend responds by saying, hey, why don't you stay at my place? I've got a, a house right on the ocean, right on the beach. There's a guest room in there. You can just have it. Nobody else is using it. You can have it for free. I would love to have you. I'd love to host you. And you're like, sweet, what a, what a great deal. So you go there, and, and the, the first three days of your vacation, you do all the things that a tourist does. You soak up the rays. You go see the sights. And that, that third night, as you're having a meal with your host family, you start to think, wow, this is, this is really a good deal for me. I should do something nice in return for my host. And as you're talking to your host, he, he, he talks about a desk that he had purchased. Let's say it's one of those, you buy it and it comes in a box and you have to assemble it at home. And, and you think to yourself, light bulb, I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to put that desk together for him. So you wake up the next morning and instead of hitting the beach right away, you, you unpack that desk and you see that you're going to need some tools. So you go and you find your friend's toolbox and you grab it and you see that there's a bunch of screws that need to be put in. And you grab that first you grab the screwdriver from the box and you start to twist it in and it's really difficult to twist in. And you kind of struggle your way for that, through that first screw 
And you grab the second screw and you're thinking, I'm hoping the second one's going to be a little bit easier. And as you start it, you realize it's not. And it's a struggle. And you finally get through that second screw. And it's the same with screw number three and four and five. And after like five or six screws, you look at the pile of screws next to you and you start counting them. And there's like 50 screws left and your forearm is starting to hurt. And you're thinking, I can't stop now. I mean, I, my friend did this really nice thing for me. I, I should be able to do this. So you keep doing it. Have you ever tried to screw something in with your opposite hand? So, like, so you get your left hand and like, hey, lefty, loosey, righty. What does that mean with my left? So you try to figure it out and you just can't do it. As you go, you go back to your right hand and after a couple of hours, you would hope you'd finish this job in like one hour, but you're two hours in and you're not even halfway done yet and your forearm is just throbbing. But you, but you keep fighting through it and after a while, your friend comes home for lunch and, and you're a little bit embarrassed and you say to your friend, oh man, it's been so nice of you to have us here and I thought I was going to do something nice for you so I took that desk and I, I was going to assemble it for you but it just, the screws are just so tight in there. I just, I've hardly been able to make any headway on it. And your friend says to you at that moment, why didn't you use my power drill? <laughs> and you just, oh, yeah, yeah. Now, I like that illustration because God has done so much for us that, that we should want to live our lives in gratitude to him. We should thank him. We should live our lives the way that he wants us to. But we recognize also that the life that God calls us to live is not a life that we can do in our own power. He asks us to be holy. He asks us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He asks us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we cannot do any of that in our own power. And if we try to do it in our own power, we'll just get frustrated and probably end up hurting ourselves and others. But we were never intended to do this life in our own power. And that's why I'm so encouraged by this verse. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. God does not ask you to do this life alone. He gives you the strength that you will need to live the life that he wants you to live. But it is not a strength that comes from you. So what do we do? We pray. We ask God to strengthen us. All those things that God wants us to do, we ask him to give us the strength to do it. So, we should absolutely be praying for these kinds of things. Now, like I said, this is the first prayer request of four. I think the next three flow from this. So the next three requests we're going to look at, keep in mind this idea of God empowering us to do these things. Or this next one is really something God does for us in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. One of the most stunning things about Christianity is that God wants to make his home with us. Now, on our own, we were sinners and we had rebelled against God. And as such, our hearts were nowhere near a suitable place for Christ to dwell. But because of God's love for us, he sent Jesus for us. And Jesus, because he loves us, he offered himself as the, the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that our sins could be completely forgiven, that we could be completely cleansed, that our hearts then become a suitable home for God. If you've ever read through the Old Testament, you've seen that the temple is a pretty big deal in the Old Testament. And you also see that there's a lot of regulations about what should and should not go on at the temple because the temple was not to be defiled. The temple was the place where God chose to dwell. The temple was the place where God met with his people. And then as we go into the New Testament, we see that we are the temple, that God chooses to make his home in us. 
It's one of the most stunning truths of Scripture that all three members of the Trinity are at work making our hearts a suitable place for God to dwell. And this is said to happen here in Ephesians 3.17 through faith and then also through the Holy Spirit. If you go back to verse 16. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, through the Holy Spirit. As such, we can live out the wonderful blessing of God with us. I have often said that one of the biggest blessings in the Bible, if not the biggest blessing, is the blessing of God with us. That God has chosen to make his home in us. And it's all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we can be cleansed and forgiven. Our hearts can become a suitable home for God. God does not want us to be separated from him. In our sin, we were separated from him, right? We can think about that in two ways. First, I want you to think back to Adam and Eve, when they first sinned. They they were living in the Garden of Eden, in paradise, with God. They walked with God. And then what happened when they sinned? God kicked them out. They could no longer be in his presence like they were before. But God enacted a plan to restore and to redeem. But then we can think about a second way. Think about our lives. And we were just like Adam and Eve. We had chosen our own path for life, a path that would have led us away from God. But what did God do? He sent Jesus for us so that we could be cleansed and restored and brought into a life life where we can live with God. It happens through faith in Jesus. It happens through the Holy Spirit. But what it means is that our lives are no longer our own. We don't belong just to ourselves anymore. We used to think that way. We used to think that our life was our life and we could do with it whatever we wanted to do. That's why we chose that path that would have led us away from God because we weren't thinking about God. We were thinking about ourselves. We all did it. Perhaps we still do all too often. But now we are to recognize that our hearts are a temple, a home for Jesus Christ. And here I want to use another analogy, and and this is one, I didn't come up with this one, it's a famous one, but I I like it for these purposes. I want you to picture your life as a house, and and you're the master of the house, or at least that's what we all thought we were, that, that we were running our house the way that we wanted to because we thought we knew best. But then one day we heard a knock on the door, and it was Jesus. In Revelation 3.20, there's a verse. It's actually the verse that helped me first understand what it means to invite Jesus into my heart. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. So for those of us who receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, according to this analogy, we opened up the door of our, of our lives, of our house, and we let Jesus in. But some people only let Jesus in thinking that he would just be a guest. And, and perhaps some people said, Okay, Jesus come on in, I've got a nice guest room over here for you. I've prepared it, I hope you like it. I'll come over here and I'll spend some time with you. Uh, but I've got some other things in the rest of my house that I want to do. And they maybe wouldn't say it to him, but they, they, they might think that they're things that I don't want to do with you. Th- these would maybe be the Christians who would, you know, they, they come to church on Sunday morning and they play the part, but they've really only ever intended to give Jesus a part of their life. Now, that's not the way this story should go. The way the story should go is that when we first heard that knocking on the door and we opened up and we let Jesus in, we should have given him the key to the house, the deed, the title to the house, everything about it, and said, it's yours. My house is yours, Jesus. You can do with it whatever you would like, and I'll just be with you, and I'll be your servant. And it's kind of ironic that we become a servant in our own house. We become a servant in our own life. But I just want to tell you, that's the best life for us where we recognize that Jesus is Lord, where we give everything to him. So I want you to think about your heart, your life right now, according to that house analogy. Is there any part of your house or your life that you have not invited Jesus into? 
I wonder if there's anybody here who's playing the part of the, just the Sunday Christian. You come here and you put on the good face for everybody, you look the part, but you've really only ever intended that Jesus would have part of your life. And if that's any of you here, I just want to urge you to see you have not done it the right way. You have not submitted your whole life to Jesus. And I just want you to do it right now. The idea here is that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that he would touch every single part of our lives. And we can think about that, whether that's your, your work or your school, whether it's the stuff that you do at home, the stuff you do with your family and your friends, or your hobbies, or your finances. Every single one of those areas of your life should be touched by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let, let's just pick a couple of them. Let's pick work. Are you honoring Jesus at your work? Now, now, sometimes the world tells us you work to get a paycheck and then you have the rest of your life. Well, that's not how God tells us to do it. We are to work as if we were working for the Lord, not for men. Our work can become worship. Yes, that, even that mundane task that you have at your job that you, that you hate, guess what? You can turn that into worship. Allow Jesus to be the Lord of your work. Or, or let's think about finances. Is God the Lord of your finances? If so, what would it look like? Well, it would look like worship. It would look like you would be so open-handed with your finances that God has control over all of it. It would look like you joyfully giving to Him. God loves a cheerful giver. That you're joining with God in His kingdom work by opening up your wallet and letting Him have whatever He wants to have. It all belongs to Him anyways. So we are to be people who are cheerful givers. Now that's just two examples out of many. The question I have for you is, is Jesus Lord of your whole life or did you just intend for him to be a guest in your house? Our hearts were created to be places for Christ to dwell. Okay, let's move on to our third request here. <coughs> Those verses up there, I'll let you read them again. Um, it's a prayer that we would both know and grow in the love of God. And I love this prayer. It's a prayer that we would know something that surpasses knowledge. Sorry, I didn't put that back on. It's a prayer that we would know something that surpasses knowledge. We can't fathom the depths of the love of Christ, yet the prayer here is that we would know exactly that. That we would know how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ. So we are to be people who get to know the love of Christ. Now this isn't just an intellectual thing, I think it's also an experiential thing, but let's start with talking about getting to know God's love. And I think there's two great ways that we can get to know God's love. Let's think about two events. First, the incarnation. Jesus came here as a baby. He took on flesh just like us. He entered into our world to live a perfect life. And that leads into the second event. It's really two events. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. In love, Jesus died for us. The cross of Christ is the most amazing act of love that this world has ever seen. So, we should be people who study things like that. The incarnation of Jesus. What does it mean that Jesus came as a man? That he was the Son of God, and He came as a man. We should study those things. We should get to know what that means. We should study the, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. We should get to know words like justification and atonement. As we do, we will understand the heart of God and we will know His love for us. But again, this, this is not just something that we do by, by, just by study. We should also know God's love in experience as we walk around with Him in love, as we worship Him and praise Him as we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as we love our neighbors as ourselves, we will see God's love growing in us if we do that all in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
because our love is to grow. The words rooted and established, they're words that imply growing. Something is rooted with the hopes of the whole plant being nourished from the roots. Something is established. That word established means to lay a foundation. And the reason that you lay a foundation is because you're looking to build up on it. So our love is to grow like a plant. Our love is to be built up like a building. Now, how are we to do this? There's one phrase in there, together with all the saints. One of the ways that we grow in our love uh, for God is that we do it together with God's people. Saints is not just a word for like super spiritual people who 500 years later are declared to be saints. Saints is the holy ones, and the holy ones are the people who have been made holy by Christ. So that's us. If you've received Jesus as Savior and Lord, you've been made holy, you are being made holy, and together with each other we are to know the love of Christ and to grow in that love. We are to love God and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. God is love. And we are to love Him and we are to love others. Now on our own, we would not do well at that. Can I get an amen to that? Anybody ever failed to love God or your neighbor the way that you should? I'm raising both hands here, okay? Um, But in the power of the Holy Spirit, God can strengthen us to know and to grow in love, to show that love to other people, to show that love to God. And then the fourth request, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I am convinced that the Bible was not just man's idea, that it was God's idea. And one of the reasons why is a verse like this. I would have never come up with this. I would have, if I were making up my own religion, I would have never said, oh, yeah, and you can be just as full as God is. <laughs> no, really? Really? Is that what it's saying? That we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? It's a repeated theme in the book of Ephesians. As you read through chapters 1 through 3 especially, you see that God wants to make you full. And not just kind of full, but like full, full. Fuller than, I think there was a a Taco Bell commercial where the guy ate his lunch and he was surprised and he said, I'm full. He usually didn't get full for meals and they're saying he'll get full here. God will fill us even more full than that. I heard a good illustration of that. I think I I was reading um, a commentary from pastor theologian Kent Hughes and I think he said it was his wife that came up with this one. She said, it's like we're a cup and, and we take our cup to the ocean And when we submerge our cup in the water, the cup gets full of the ocean. Now, it hasn't hasn't taken all the water of the ocean into itself, but it is full of the ocean. And and I think that's the way it is with God, that, that he has immeasurable resources, yet he can fill us full to all, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you want to walk around full like that? I sure do. So what do we do about it? We pray. We ask God to fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God. A big idea for today is also my conclusion. The Holy Spirit directs and empowers us for our daily walk with Christ. The Holy Spirit directs and empowers us for our daily walk with Christ. The Holy Spirit is not merely an occasional help for us. Nor does the Holy Spirit only work in huge miracles that you only see like once a century. The Holy Spirit directs us for our daily walk with Christ. It's one of the things that I've wanted you to see over the course of this sermon series. The Holy Spirit is here to help us do the things that God wants us to do. God wants us to love, so he gives us the Holy Spirit to help us love. God wants us to know scripture, so he gives us the Holy Spirit to teach us and remind us of what Jesus has said. The things that God wants you to do, he directs and empowers you to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
But this strengthening, even though it comes from God, it does not come without our involvement. The theologian Klein Snodgrass, and I was thinking about, isn't that kind of a funny name, Snodgrass? Says Pastor Ugarud. But um, <laughs> Klein Snodgrass said, the spirit of Christ does not work in us without our willingness. No, don't get me wrong. There are things that God can do that, that we could never stop him from doing. So I, I'm not trying to limit God in any way. But as we are specifically talking about the filling of the Holy Spirit, it does not happen against our will. It happens as we join with God, as we are led by and filled with and live according to and walk with and keep in step with the Spirit. So we are people who are to, be, who are to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit that we would submit every single area of our lives to God so that we would keep in step with the Spirit. And again, that house analogy. Is there any single part of your house, maybe it's even just one little nook or cranny of your house that you haven't given to Jesus yet? I want you to give everything to Him, to live with Him. God wants us to live abundant lives. Please know that. If God were to come right here, right now, and lay out before you all the wonderful plans that He had for your life, you would probably burst out in tears of joy. But those things that he has for you are not things that we are to do in our own power. We are to do them in the power of the Holy Spirit. So why would we go about and live life merely in our own power when God offers to empower us through the Holy Spirit? There should be nothing that we do in our own lives according to our own power. Or we can think about it in regard to our benediction verse, which we'll say in just a few minutes, in Colossians 2.6, where it talks about receiving Jesus as Lord and then continuing to live in him, continuing to walk around with him. Well, as we continue to walk with Jesus, we are not to do that in our own power. When we receive Jesus, we also receive the Holy Spirit. So as we walk with Jesus, we are to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything about us empowered by the Holy Spirit. So as I close this sermon series on the Holy Spirit, I want to challenge you with this question. Are you doing everything you do in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you doing everything you do in the power of the Holy Spirit? There's nothing that we are to do on our own. There's things that we could do on our own. I I think about the non-Christian who gets through life. They they can go to work and have friends and pay the bills and, and do the stuff that they need to do They can get through life, at least until they die. Uh, They can get through life without thinking about God. But why would we want to just get through life when God is offering us abundant life, life in the Holy Spirit? So are you doing everything you do in the power of the Holy Spirit? I'll be the first to answer that question saying, no, I am not, but I want to. I want to. So let's pray with that goal in mind that God would lead us into a wonderful Spirit-filled life as we submit our hearts and our lives, everything about us, to him. I'm going to close in prayer now, and I'm going to take this prayer in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 and, and pray it to God. So I'm going to kind of change some of the pronouns because Paul wrote this as his prayer request for other people, but I'm going to pray it now as our prayer to God. And I want to encourage you to take this prayer and make it your own. Maybe you want to memorize these verses and, and pray these things to God regularly. But I, and I'm going to do that right now if you join with me. God, we pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. 
And we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of you, God. And God, we thank you that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'll invite the worship team up now and we'll, we'll close with one more song.